I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Welcome back, traumatized toffees of the airways. Um, you are back with a very similar starting blue room. Um, the kickabout is back, but I am simply one wheel on the tricycle of misery that we'll be riding around on this week. So myself, Mark Mosey, joined as ever by Rob Vera and Keith Tomlin joins us as well. Um, lads, we'll, we'll, we'll go there eventually. We will talk about it. Um, Everton currently standing five points off fifth, um, that, which is, which is absolutely fine. Um, don't, don't let that, don't let detract from how you're feeling at the moment. But Keith, you've got a bit of catching up to do from our show last week, mate. Um, Football is important in everyone's life, of course, but we need to know when you put your Christmas decorations up, man. Um, well, to be honest, I'm, I'm way up not doing it this year. Uh, this is this is genuinely like let let's kick us off on like the most depressing sort of um, foot possible, which is very fitting for Everton right now. Um, so, like, I went I went through a change in personal circumstance at the start of year. Uh, obviously, like a lot of people on the socials know that and stuff. So this is genuinely going to be the first Christmas that I've ever spent on my own. So oh, I'm weighing up, not bothering with decorations and either like fleeing the country on a last minute deal or just getting blackout drunk and pretending it's not happening. <laughs> so that's that. That's my choices. Um, if I do put them up, it'll be the first of December. Hmm. Yeah, um, and and no sooner because any any sooner is just like godless behaviour. Yeah, um, one of the alternatives to avoiding Christmas would be to fully indulge yourself in your football team. Um, I I honestly don't know whether I could even push you in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's that, that's like that's proper Jimmy Stewart, and uh, it's a wonderful <laughs> life, isn't it? Sitting on the bridge, weighing up if it's all worth it or not. 
Oh man! Can you imagine your only escape from misery is Everton? The, the second equally important thing I need to ask you is how is Shaw Villa getting on your team? Flying at the moment. Um, since since I took over as manager, we've uh, we've only lost once in the last six games. I think it is now. Uh, we won in the cup at the weekend against the top of the league team on penalties. Um, we were on proper bare bones, so I ended up playing. I came on as a sub on Sunday. Um, half hour cameo. The game completely passed me by. Uh, and we ma- we managed to sort of scrape it into penalties in the end. We hung on a little bit, uh, and I um, obviously st- stepped up, took the first penalty of the shootout, and set an example and uh, <laughs> buried it in the corner. So yeah, we did we did well. Our our, our goalkeeper got us through it. Really, um, he made some massive saves in the first half. Uh, sorry, in the second half. Yeah, and then he made he stopped three penalties in the shootout. So can't grumble with that, can you? Obviously, ordinarily, for for those who don't know, you're you're the manager of the team. So when, I am, yeah, I am. I'm still registered as a player. Well, I was going to um, say when you decided to full on Daniel Amakachi yourself onto the pitch, does that <laughs> does that change the dynamic? Is that an, is that an easy role to kind of slip into, or are you still kind of like barking orders mid game? Oh no, I I leave it to the touchline. Um, I, yeah, I designated yeah. designate. So our um our club captain is um he's injured at the moment. Um, and we were that badly off that he was on the bench as well. Um, yeah. with 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 recently healed broken ribs. Um, <laughs> so when I went on, I said to him, right, okay, you're in charge of the subs. And then five minutes later, um, someone got injured. And he had to come on as well. Oh, so eventually, it's just me and him, sort of in midfield. Um, I don't, you know, the clip with, um, you know, the, the popular meme with Paul Rudd, where he said, "Look at us! How did we get here? <laughs> Who expected this? Not me." That was basically. So that was basically me and him in midfield as they just ran past us time and time again. Um, but thankfully, the other lads, uh, the other lads, got us through till full time, and we uh, we took made the most of the shootout. So. Yeah, going well. So um, you're obviously um, you're obviously living off a bit of a, a new manager bounce here. So I don't know. Are, are all the talks <laughs> in the dressing room about you know Keith's doing a great job as an interim position, but we don't <laughs> want to go full Solskjaer with this, or, or or is it? Are we here for are we here for the massive revolution now? I think I think we're in for the long term. The lads seem to have um, bought into what I'm telling them, and. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm happy with it. We're playing. Do you know what? We're actually playing some really nice football as well, which is which is good. Um, as nice as football as you can play on Sunday league pitches, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, um. Yeah, we're doing well. We're flying. Um, I mean, Keith's, my, Keith's my friend, but I'll, I'm going to reserve judgment on his performance as a manager until oh. I get the XG metrics, and when I get those, <laughs> then we'll talk about whether or not Keith is a good manager or not. So, on oh, no, our um, our XG must be pretty good because we we don't we don't shoot a lot, but we seem to score every time we have a shot, which is good. <laughs> we'll have, to, um, we'll have so. to take a game in, Rob, when you're over. Uh, I, assuming your league doesn't finish over winter, Keith will. Uh, We'll, we'll definitely think, be there. I think we'll be on a winter break, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. They uh, shut the league down for a couple of weeks. Like a, like a, you know, like a 
five minute sub at center half for you guys or something like that. Oh, oh, mate, I, I would have you in the squad in a minute, Rob, in a heartbeat. I'm 6'3 in Latin. Surely I have some qualities <laughs> that lend itself to uh, to being a center half, right? I'm bigger than Mason Holgate, I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> Talking about yeah. triumphant footballing returns, um, a bit of news that came out this week was Tony Hibbert coming out of retirement um, to play for a 10th-tier French team who, quite honestly, on Sunday at quarter to four, I was ready to fully convert to. But, yeah, after after coaching the under-13 side for a few months, he's, um, he's going to step in and do a role. Is he going to go and play right back or is he going to sort of play this Keith Tomlin-esque centre midfield maverick role, do we think? <laughs> Just uh, something about, isn't it, like ex-pros when they drop into like the junior leagues and that, they always seem to end up as like an anchoring midfielder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't yeah. matter where they played, like through their career, they always end up as a centre mid when they play play non-league. Is the so, 10th tier of French football, is that is that higher up the pyramid than, than Shore Villa is, Keith? Um, it might be similar, you know. I mean, we 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 put a, we put an offer in to Tony and his people, but um, unfortunately, they turned us down. So, yeah, I know. I think- well, it's probably because the manager's uh, sucking up so much of the finances with his oh, uh, six-figure exactly, yeah. salary for being a player manager. So, quite right, quite right as well. <laughs> the, the rumors of Keith's uh, head being turned by the prospective Paris Saint-Germain job availability was. Um, something that Tony Hibbert just couldn't quite commit to. But, yeah, um, <laughs> footballing comebacks all around, it seems. But, yeah, as we uh, as we alluded to on the on the post-match for anyone who's listened to it at the weekend, I, I managed to escape most of, of sport at the weekend by heading up to the Lake District, which, Rob, I know that you, you said, you know, you'll have to enlighten me about what the, the Lake District is like. The only way I could really describe places like the Lakes and the Cotswolds and probably a little bit of the Peak District over here as well is that it, it's probably what most Americans think that most of England looks like. Yeah. Um, as, as an English person, it was it was quite nice to, as, as much as it's only sort of an hour and a half or, or two hours from home, it's probably an area of the country that I've, I've neglected for, for Shaw's further afield over time, but... Yeah. Know, this is this is probably what COVID's done to to people of most nations, isn't it? In in terms of not being able to travel and and kind of look more more intrinsically at what's on your doorstep. But no, it was um, nice to get a bit of bit of fresh air and and for the large part avoid Everton. Um, I must admit, on, on the Sunday, stopping at a, a a relatively terrible pub for dinner and then indulging in that ninety minutes. It, it was it was the come down that everyone experiences on the back of a holiday of any length. But no, it, it's probably it's probably another one that we should try and escape to, Rob, when you're over. Okay, yeah, I it was funny um, in one of the WhatsApp chats that I'm in. Um, I know we were some, they were trying to. I think it was Matt Flusk, Keith, and maybe you and a couple other trying to explain to me what the the quote the lakes are. Uh, I think the Asher yeah. was too. Like, and then someone said, "Well, but just 
it's probably not like what you guys consider to be lakes. It's nothing like the Great Lakes. And I was just thinking to myself, then I thought to myself, do people who aren't from America think that most of our lakes are the size of the Great Lakes? Like the Great Lakes are the size, like they're like mini oceans. You know what I mean? Like there are there are ships yeah. that go down in the in the Great Lakes that never uh, that never return. I mean, they've written songs about them and stuff, but. Um, I, I mean, I just imagine like most lakes here are man-made. So therefore, and I don't know if the lakes that you're referring to include man-made lakes or if these are only natural lakes, but you know, most of our lakes are, are, you know, decent size, but they're not intimidating. It's, you know, it's a body of water where there is usually an opportunity to uh, pop open a few beers and, uh, you know, yeah. enjoy the scenery. And that's, that's pretty much the function of a lake that and maybe a little bit <laughs> light fishing. If you're, if you're into uh, something that requires a lot of effort and doesn't produce a ton of results uh, as Everton fans, I imagine that's something we can relate to when it comes to fishing. So um, yeah, I, I, I am up for, and that's the thing is I keep looking at my, at the calendar guys. And, and this is why I keep kind of saying, I put myself in your hands, but you know, I get in and it seems like I'm there for a while, but man, all of a sudden you look at that calendar and it just like, there aren't, there's not enough time. There's never enough time when I'm there, but I would like to get out of the city at least one time while I'm there. Cause I have not. The last few times I've been flown to Manchester, come straight to Liverpool, stayed yep. in Liverpool the whole time, which is great. I love, obviously, I I love this city or I wouldn't be coming. But at least when I'd flown the first time over and you know landed in London, I had the train ride uh, at least to just see the countryside to see some non-city things. But I am up for some sort of country, you know, country or lake excursion. So if you guys want to make this happen, please don't hesitate to I'm, let me know. I'm, I'm man, fully up for that. In your um, hands, <laughs> I believe. I believe there's a day where um, we we've been tasked with babysitting you um, because Mr. Diasha's a, a family function. Yeah. Um, so I think what we'll do is we'll escape the city. We'll go to the lakes. We'll do some sort of a gentle climb. Um, yeah. and then finish off with lunch and pints by Lake Windermere. Oh, that sounds incredible. Which you, you, you will enjoy that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I'm all, all about a good hike. I enjoy those. So that'll be fun. <laughs> I've just realized that the lakes probably will mirror a series of puddles compared to some of the lakes that you've got over Again, there. Again, see, you're already doing it. I'm sure they will be perfectly fine yeah. lakes, Mark. No, they're, they're all <laughs> vast oceans, as you say. Oh, wow. But no, I mean, one of the Great Lakes, certainly in the northwest, I would say, is is the, the Marine Lake in West Kirby. So yeah, me and me and Keith will show you around there. Absolutely, okay. that's, a, that's a lovely walk on a on a Sunday afternoon, isn't it? Yeah, well, primarily because there are pubs totally surrounding the place, um, yeah. which, as as we found out at the weekend, is the essential task that you need to do when you go on on any rural excursion is bring it right back down to earth through the medium of ale uh so yeah, yeah. We, we managed to do that quite a few times <laughs> Keith, i don't know how much of the the lakes you've done we were we were in ambleside which was about 10 minutes away from from windermere and I, i'm not gonna not gonna speak generally and collectively for everywhere in the lake district but my god that place is moody when the sun goes down and you know, it, it's just one of those areas of the country where you just think you all live in quintessential rural heaven. That there could be nothing for you to be angry or upset about with each other. 
But the the level of pub scrapping that went on, um, I'm not I'm not going to talk about people with cob arms because we had enough of, of Rob <laughs> slaying our English language last week. Uh, a, cob on, a cob on sounded like. Did you hear what I said that I thought a cob on was, Keith? Go on. I it's I said we were trying. He was giving me all these scouse words that I was supposed to know the meaning of, and some of them I did. But he said a cob on, and I said it sounds like a really angry erection. That's what I came up with, which was <laughs> not mean, yeah. not what it is. Yeah, <laughs> no, not quite. But it's I can I can see your line of thinking there. Yeah, um, see, yeah, see, there we go, Mark. Keith gets truly haunting so, analysis of the English language. <laughs> so Mark, is, places no. that you went, a lot of you said there are a lot of like when you say scraps. So I'm guessing people were yeah. drinking too much and getting into it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, but it, it's the exact type of thing that occasionally you would expect to see in a city night out. You know, we live in Liverpool, but pl- plenty of this goes on, and, and people will know exactly the the nature and the type of places where, unfortunately, you you will run into this sort of thing. But Rob, you you've probably got places similar close to home, whereby if if you were to escape for a weekend of this nature, the the idea is that you don't necessarily get a, an enormous amount of aggression, but it it was it was just bizarre to see. You know, we it, on the rolling hills of the Lake District, all of a sudden there's a flying glass going across the um, Com- Cumbria in general can be quite moody though. Um, I didn't. I didn't know this. Not so much. Not so much in the like by Windermere and that you would expect that to be a bit more tranquil. But if you ever, um, if you ever venture up to like the working towns up in the north of Cumbria, like Workington and Cockermouth and stuff, yeah, they like I've worked up there several times. They are vicious and they can smell an outsider from twenty paces. <laughs> And it's very much that whole, this is a local pub for local people sort yes. of scenario. You walk in and it's like, like for reference for Rob, it's like, like in the Western when the cowboy walks in the saloon and the door the <laughs> door slams and it, every, like everything stops. The yeah. band stops playing. Everyone turns to look. The poker game finishes. That's what it's like walking into a pub in Workington because they all just turn and stare at you as you walk to the bar. And you've, you sort of, it's, it can be quite intimidating. So you do, you, sort of, you draw yourself up and you're like, all right, I'm not yeah. going to back down from this challenge. And you get to the bar and you're like, yeah, I'm going to have one here and then I'm going to get off, I think. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's I, a I, moody, moody vibe. There's, there's absolutely places like that here. Um, you know, ask a person of color going into a small town bar in the south of the United States <laughs> and they can tell you about that vibe for sure. I've been to places like that. I am a master, by the way. I'm not like no one is better at looking tough in a situation like that than me. Now, don't <laughs> test me. I'm not tough, but I, I have, I, I can really, you know, I've got the broad shoulders, and I can really like, I can make a mean face, you know. <laughs> you know, like don't fuck with me, face. Now, if they fuck with me, I'm. I mean, the game's up. I'm probably, you know, I'm gonna hope that I can hurl, hurl my friends at the problem or something like that. But uh, yeah, no, I, man, I'm. I, the thing about places like that is that it's sort of like when you go to, as you said, Keith, the the, the local pub for local people. They they sort of feel like they, I feel like their whole the whole vibe that they kind of exude there is that 
this is a place for us where we can feel comfortable being us and saying what us wants to say about anything while we're drinking. And we don't want anyone coming in from the outside who's going to, you know, kind of rock that boat a little bit. You know, I think people, it's sort of like, it's sort of like if uh, you were the group of friends and suddenly uh, a person sitting at, at a table, you know, the table next to you just kind of, you can tell that they're eavesdropping a little bit and suddenly you get real defensive about it. I think that's the whole vibe of places like that is that there's just, they can, like you said, they can smell an outsider. Uh, they can tell by the clothes you're wearing. And certainly I am hyper aware of the fact that as soon as I open my mouth, people know that I'm from somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> and so that's why I'm very, I find myself when I'm over there, I really just kind of follow the leader, if you will. Like when we go out in groups, uh, you guys, I follow you in, you know where we're going. You, I don't talk to people generally that I don't need to talk. You know, I wait for one, someone else to engage with someone first. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to trying to get out of there with my drink in hand and really not uh, piss anyone off, you know? So I, I, I don't know. There's something about being at the, the, f and, and it's, it's, I say the word foreigner, but I, I just mean from the standpoint of yeah. even if you're from a, a city, a, a city two hours away, and you go into a place in, in a small town where you don't know anyone. Uh, there, there's there's always there's sometimes is that undercurrent there. It's weird how if you I don't know add alcohol to any situation, it, it creates tension. It was it was very much sort of infighting by the locals. It was almost as though they were they were vying of the position of top local in order to start fighting <laughs> off all of these these outsiders as you say rob um i want a I mean, t-shirt that says top local <laughs> I, I also realize that that's probably the first time you ever heard of a place called cockermouth and the, the look on your face did not go past me i made a face yes i just like that is the most Wait, I, the fact that keith could just say cockermouth without even like not even pausing just said the word like it was a normal word like he just said the word hamburger or something like that it was <laughs> it was like My, man I, I gotta get to this place maybe keith maybe that's uh maybe that's where we should go is you know for i mean we're yeah we, we on would the definitely get to test the local pub theory um <laughs> I, I think it might be risky with your accent and my accent combined the, the, oh yeah definitely yeah. be on us Ask him um, my, my, uh, my second favorite vera face is when we we go down that route of him obviously living in a western movie set uh, yeah. which i, I think we, we've I all mean, decided that he definitely does. So the the thought of Rob strolling down the boardwalk into his favorite saloon and and looking quite tough, I think that that's essentially Rob. Yeah. How Oklahoma and you are in tandem. Right. I, think we don't I mean, I've I've seen what Rob's neighborhood looks like because he's shown me videos of it and stuff. But it just does not compute when I think of Rob. I think of like he lives in an old like corral town. Oh yeah. Um, there's there's horses tied up on the corner. There's a cowboy walking down the street, spurs jangling. Right. Sheriff steps yeah. out ready. He's in with the sheriff. That's I mean yeah. That that's that's in my head. See, Keith, I I go to great pains to express to people that I live according to the most recent census in the 22nd largest city in the United States. It is got great art and great restaurants and great, you know, there's culture here. The people are lovely. Um, and you know, we're not the stereotype. 
And then inevitably on the news, there will be an alert that uh, somehow a cow or a horse has gotten onto the interstate highway and uh, they've had to stop traffic. And then I'm like, damn it, guys, we're so close to being being respected. And then this shit's got to come out, you know? It's probably um, being dumped there by one of your numerous typhoons or tornadoes or whatever. Oh, it's just like whistling up the road that day. Well, between between the Tiger King documentary, which certainly did this state no favors, uh, and our our notable weather uh, weather issues with tornadoes, I mean, yeah, it sounds like I feel like people look will we'll watch an old Clint Eastern or Clint Eastwood Western and think, yeah, that's probably what Oklahoma's kind of like, you know, something like that. And it's <laughs> yeah, that, the thing is, is you're not totally wrong. It is that way. It is still kind of that way in the rural parts of the state, which is, you know, a lot of the state. So um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of states over here. And I think that's the thing. And, and Keith, you spent considerable amount of time in America, you know, because I think that the for people whose experience in America has been flying to New York, which is great, by the way. I mean, New York's one of the great cities in the world. But like going to New York, going to Vegas, whatever, you're you're getting a very curated tour, you know, tourist yeah. sort of view of the country. <clears throat> I think the thing that you sometimes forget is, and I do even living here, is how big the United States really is. So you think of all the cities, right? But there's still, even with the population we have here, there's still so much open space here that you have so much, so much of so much area uh, within a state that has small towns and uh, you know, that sort of vibe, like even New York, uh, the state of New York, once you get outside the city, it is, it is scenic pastoral, you know, villages and bridges and, uh, you know, over lakes and mountains and it's gorgeous. And it doesn't seem like anything that would come to mind when you say the words New York. Conversely, a place like Oklahoma has city, has certain things, you know, that, that, that aren't like that. But yet you can never really get away from it too much. Like there is literally a place, a museum um, about five minutes from my house called the it used to be called the National Cowboy Hall of Fame Museum, okay? And it was, <laughs> it is literally, and now it's like the National Western Heritage Museum. It's something like that. But basically, it's all like these giant works of art, like paintings and sculptures and all that, but it's all Western themed. So if you are looking for the whole cowboys and Indians sort of thing committed to art, like we've got that. But yeah, I, I, I've come over there so many times. I'm probably going to start making demands that you guys at some point come visit me so I can show you where I actually live instead of just explaining it. Cause I, I do think there'll always be something lost in the translation until you actually see a yeah. place for sure. So yeah, but I might, just, I might just do that next year. Like I have, I have no holiday plans next year, so I might just come to the States. Yeah. Just come to, you know, I, I always tell people if you want to, you know, if it's too much trouble flying into, uh, I mean, look, anywhere, a lot of places you fly and then you have to take one more flight or whatever, but you know, you from, from London, for instance, you can fly any, like you can fly directly to Dallas or you can fly in a lot of, I've flown from London to Austin, Texas direct before. Um, you know, you can fly anywhere from there you want, but even in Manchester, 
you now granted some of this post COVID may be a little different because I know they're still kind of ramping up some of the airways, but you know, from, from Manchester, you can fly direct to Atlanta, direct to New York, direct to, you know, a few other Eastern, Eastern United States cities for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But you obviously have the most options in London, but even if you flew from Manchester to let's say Atlanta, you're then taking an hour and a half flight from Atlanta to Dallas or something yeah. like that. Hour forty five minutes, e- easy flight, you know. So um, again, I don't, pre- I don't want to pretend like flying to the states is some easy thing. But now that I'm on my fourth trip to Liverpool, I feel like at some uh-huh. point I'm going to need you guys to come, uh, uh-huh. come visit me, darken my door for a bit. So and and we could definitely meet in New Orleans, Rob, because the last time I looked at the map, it's only that far away. <laughs> um, so that 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 can't happen. That, that can only be like what half an hour. Do you, know, you want to know how far New Orleans is? Like, what's funny is you oh. look at a map of the United States, and it shows this. The thing about maps is how much of uh, how much they fuck with your your mind, right? Because you look at a map and you think, oh, okay, that's not that far. Like New Orleans is still like a twelve hour drive from Oklahoma. <laughs> it's so long. I feel like I could get from the furthest northern England to the tip of like I could get to Bournemouth or Weymouth or something like that in less time but then I remember that the roads are probably not such a direct path in any particular direction but well, yeah 12 hours of driving you'd be in Spain yeah exactly. <laughs> it's insanity so oh man travel talk guys as we get closer to the trip I I cannot tell you how excited I am but I need you guys to you guys tell me where to, where I'm going and and I'm 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 game I'm open and and right by the way I'm I'm in town for two Everton home matches I I don't even know maybe I just skip skip the Everton part altogether that way we have more time to do fun things I mean, yeah, I feel, I feel like it will be the worst part of your trip. Will be those like <laughs> that three hours you spend encased inside ever. Inside yeah, I gotta go to. I gotta go to at least one of them, but I'm you know probably gonna still go to both. You know, who knows? We'll we, see. We've, we've, had we'll be playing. we've had a lot of decisive moments on Saturday afternoons at two thirty, two forty-five, thinking, "Do we actually do this?" Um, <laughs> I've never actually gone gone full match avoidance but i don't know if you've ever got to that point but i know we, we, we can all advocate escaping the place as early as possible when it's oh yeah um, I've, I've, ne- I've never even under allardyce i never never quite got to that point of temptation to just bin it off i have in the sense that like there were some weeks where i just didn't fancy it and just got rid of yeah. my ticket but yeah. When you're committed on a match day to going, I've always at least made it inside for like a varying period of time. Um, I, I think I've, I think I've said it on this show before. I've certainly said it on Mailbag before. The shortest time I ever spent inside Goodison was 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> I arrived just as they were kicking off against Man United. Um, mm-hmm. It was just after New Year under Allardyce. Um, I was there. I, that was my first game. I left after 20 minutes. It was still nil-nil. <laughs> and I just, like, genuinely, I've had enough. Now? Like, we, we hadn't strung together more than two passes in a sequence in 20 minutes. And I was like, no, I don't need this. I've, I've got better yeah. things to do in my day. So I, I just got up and left. It, it was It was like one of the wettest days ever as well. So I was soaked from walking from the car to the ground. And I just thought, nah, I'm going on. It, no, for that reason, it excites me that we're, we're about to talk about a game today where our average pass sequence was three. <laughs> I have <laughs> it was three. <laughs> oh, 
Well, so what is there to talk about? I mean, we're, we're, we can talk about it, Mark, because I, I feel, you know, you're going to lead us. Uh, you're going to lead There's us like Christ into a, into the uh, into the sea of of Galilee of misery. That is fucking Everton. But I will tell you that I am worried a little. Well, not worried is the, the wrong word, but like when you start losing this many in a row or you're just, you're winless for this long. I, I, it's that time every year where I start to realize that, Oh, I wonder if you could go find a podcast of ours from two years ago at this time. And it just sounded exactly the same. Like Everton Twitter right now is totally, I see we've now moved today at least into uh, you know, the whole mode of, you know, they, they need to gut this whole thing. And, uh, People getting really moody about uh, I don't have enough access to the shareholders meeting and stuff that just it's just it's just like it's the yeah. same old shit. It's like I I, I don't know. I, I don't I just wonder if we've just run out of things to talk about when it's the same problems every time. Like if you're <laughs> if you're mad all the time, then you're not mad. That's just how you feel. And therefore, yeah. that if that's your standard mood, then. You know, being mad suggests that there were time, there were times when you weren't mad or when you were happy with things, and and our our happiness with Everton is so fleeting. But I, yeah, yeah you're. I watched. I don't know about you guys. I think Keith, you. I think you heard. You may not have watched the game at all. Didn't, I watched. Didn't see a minute. I watched until and Mark. I I still ended up going back and reading and, and watching highlights, if you want to use that <laughs> word in such a bastardized way. But like. I I don't know what to I, I basically turned off right after City scored their first goal because once they scored I just thought we don't have anything left I mean there's nothing they had shown nothing up to that point so I'm like yeah. I I don't I think once they gone one nil up uh, it'd be one thing if it looked like we were getting shots on target and we were troubling them at all um, I think the funniest thing I saw after the game was you know how. The, the social media managers for every one of these Premier League players has to put up like a action yeah. photo of them in the game that Ederson literally had to show a picture of him making a quote save in warmups because <laughs> he had nothing to show during the game. It's just, huh. it's so, it's just so, it's bad and it's just so, it's such forgettable sport. Yeah, that, that I don't I don't know what can be expected. Like at a certain point, what do they expect us to talk about on here? Um, you know, these podcasts, uh, there's there's, you know, a little mini podcast war going on online at all times, usually. But but I, I, I've I've heard accusations thrown around about, you know, podcasts uh, about Everton or about football being a little too generic at times or cookie cutter, I think was the word I saw used by. Uh, you know, one of the podcasts, and I thought to myself, "Well, um, a we tr- we here at the Kickabout try to do anything but cookie cutter by you know just going into whatever weird territory we want." But b, what do you talk about when every season is the same? It's such Groundhog Day every season, so I just sort of don't even know what you would have me talk about. So for <laughs> me, it's just kind of like, what do you, what do you want? Okay, um, everyone's injured. 
no one likes the manager. No one likes the, the tactics. No one likes what they're seeing. And it's, and we're headed straight towards mid table. And some people think we're going to get relegated or we should get relegated, but that's not going to happen. I still don't think so. I don't know. I'm just at a loss. I feel like I'm having the same conversation over and over again. To on your wider point, Rob, in terms of, you know, I'm sure we're not the only football teams fans who feel like this, but the the point you make about kind of treading over all ground is something that you know, I'm, I'm sure most Evertonians are inwardly aware of. The fact that we we do vocally talk about it on a weekly basis, obviously on this platform, we we, we are hyper conscious about being that type of football fan, aren't we? In terms of talk, talking over the same ground, um, the reason why that has probably intensified over the last couple of years is that we are beyond the honeymoon, if you want to call it that, period of Farhad Mashiri. I think oh, that yeah. would be a totally wrong word to use. But obviously the, the initial three or four years always had with it the promise of something better. And I think we over the last two years, we've we've unfortunately hit this plateau of despair whereby... The players haven't really had a great deal of amount of turnover. Obviously, the managers have, but to no great effect. And I think that the big thing that most Evertonians would talk to you about at the moment is the lack of connectivity with the team, the total loss of interest that they have with how the team are doing or any particular individual that exists within it. And I think that is, as we've said time and time again on this podcast, that is nothing but dangerous. And, and that's that's the antithesis, antithesis of what Everton should be because we, we've never we've never been that good at football for, what are we, 30 years now. But there's always been that sense of meaning and belonging about what we are all collectively doing here, be it the players we go out and sign or the ritual that we've spoken about on a match day. There, there was an underlying sense of purpose to it all. And I don't know, the, the one... The one moment that stuck in my mind from the weekend was, do you know what? The, 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 there's so much of the football that can be overlooked because they are clearly more more gifted than us. But when the, when the players were coming back out for the second half, I don't know if any of you saw this, but I called it straight away in terms of looking at every one of them to a man coming back onto the onto the playing pitch and thought they do not look like they are interested one bit in how the next right. forty five minutes of their life goes. And there was a there was a notable vision of defeatism about them. And do you know what? I, I, I bet you there is a little bit of that when you're going out onto the Etihad and you're 1-0 down and the best player that you've probably got in the squad on current form has gone off injured in the first half. I get it. But th- these things happen. And for me, that that if, if I would have looked at those players going out onto the pitch and they didn't have a shirt on and I visually didn't know who they were playing for. I, I would say that they're Everton players of the last two to three years because we have that that general demeanour of just despair about us. It's probably the only word I can use because the fans have had it for far longer than the current crop of players have, but there is there is an overwhelming sense of doom every with, with everything about this football team at the moment. And Obviously, as you mentioned, Rob, the, the, the clearest form of this is the actual form table itself, which doesn't read pretty. And I think that the only thing that's slightly more terrifying than the last five games in terms of form is the prospect of the next five. Um, and, and clearly mm. what happened on Sunday, 
uh, as a team collective, and in particular to someone like Damari Gray and to a lesser extent Richarlison, is absolutely not helping this at all. But do you know what? Team, teams like Everton are going to get beat by Man City. They're going to get beat by Liverpool. They're going to be, get beat by Chelsea. And it's probably all going to happen in the next two to three weeks. But all of the the mantras and all of the the sayings and all of the things that we speak about Everton and how they're, how they're different from every other football team, etc., etc., all, all of these mm-hmm. things that we like to say and like to believe... I think the one thing that is is universally unacceptable, we'd all agree, is is the nature of how you how you go down and the nature of how you get beaten. I think Sunday, from from what we all saw, was a collection of an inferiority complex. Um, and again, we we know we know we're not necessarily superior in terms of technical ability, but that there has to be some level of intrinsic pride about you as a professional footballer to define how you are going to get beat in football games if that is to happen. And of course it is going to. But that that dangerous combination of attitude and really careless personal mistakes, it, it's it's pretty unforgivable. And do you know what we got away with it? Because Man City only put three past us. And to be honest, they were crap. They didn't have the broiler. Oh, they didn't three, have three goals. Was, three that, goals that was flattered. Three goals that, was flattering. That, the fact that it was only three goals was kind of amazing, really, if you watched any but that, of that that's game. That's the worst version, isn't it? That, that is the absolute worst version of Man City that you can ever wish to play. And do you know what? It, it, it's still a good version. It's still a good football team, and they've got some incredibly gifted players. But we saw three weeks ago, was it? Four weeks ago, Crystal Palace, who are... For my money, I know they've got a, an up-and-coming manager. They're in good form, etc. P- people are talking about them as being in the middle of some mini evolution. They're one point above Everton, and we've been absolutely dreadful. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's fair to, to compare what Everton did at the weekend to what they did three or four weeks ago. Well, Mark, uh, I'd remind you too that for I, I've heard plenty of I told you so about Graham Potter. <laughs> And Brighton are two points ahead of us for as bad as we've yeah. been and as good as they started. And we started well, too. I mean, I wonder and Keith, I want to bring you into this part of the conversation, too, because I'm I think the thing that we all bang our heads against the wall with is the the no like the question of, well, what fixes this? And and if you've gone through half a decade or so where you've pretty much, you know, the last five to seven years, bar Seamus Coleman, you've pretty much turned over the squad. Uh, you have turned over countless managers and coaching staff members. Now we've gotten rid of uh, uh, <laughs> Daniel Donacci because, you know, we need to get, you know, at the, the medical thing, medical team needs an overhaul. Like, so you've done all of those things. And so Mark said earlier something, Keith, that I want your thought on, which I, I want to peel back the layers on this a bit more, which is, is this just a feeling of who cares, this who cares feeling that we we start to have? Is this, this can't just be us, right? Like there've got to be several other fan bases in the Premier League who feel the same way. So my question becomes, is it about how bad things are at Everton? Or 
is all of what we're seeing and the fact that we cannot seem to change it simply a byproduct of the way in which the sport and the league have changed, you know, to, to favor the same group winning everything and therefore de-incentivizing a lot of what these play, a lot of what, what happens every week amongst all the other teams. Now, now, now hear me out here for a second. I think it's a confluence of factors, but these, these players aren't total idiots. Like they know that if they're at Everton, that they are not at as much as we, I love Everton. We're a big club historically, but they're not at the in the cream of the crop in terms of the biggest clubs in the league. The 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 handful of clubs that actually compete for trophies and titles, right? Well, then you combine that with I don't know how many international breaks that we constantly seem to have, and the emphasis on the national team side of the equation being so important. Like guys like Richarlison. Yeri Mina, uh, I mean, Jordan Pickford. If you really put a gun to their head and said, which of these is most important to you? It's it's their country. It's playing for their country, and it's that every day and twice on Sunday. Regardless of the fact that they're not being paid for it, it's not, it's not you know, in the same way that they are for their club. It's just that they've got a combination, a confluence of factors. One, feeling like you are in a league that has become increasingly less competitive. Two, being, you know, playing in a nonstop, grueling schedule where you, in the case of Everton, and Everton aren't alone in this, you have a constant turnover of managers. You're competing for the same sort of scraps every year. At a certain point, do they all just kind of look at each other every week and just, you know, like, is the reason that that they don't have that togetherness, they don't have that cohesiveness, they don't have that spirit to fight for the badge, just simply a, a, a matter of the fact that they are now divided, they, they as players are now divided up into other interests and other things that they should care about more than playing for Everton because I don't know that there seems like there's as much to play for. Like if you're in a league where you you know at the very beginning of the, the season you're not going to win you're not going to win the league and now that we're out of the league cup that's one more trophy down. So like what is it that motivates these players beyond the park end well they're getting paid every week they should be motivated to blah blah, blah. like I get that but what's what's keeping them interested because as much as we're sitting here saying we're not interested i think they're not i think a lot of these players and i don't just mean at everton but i think a lot of premier league players when you combine covid international travel world cup qualifying um the fact that they play for a team that is just going to kind of tread water like is it hard for them to get up for that every week <sighs> I mean, yeah, it, it probably is. Yeah, I mean, like you, going back to what you said about preferring to play for the national team. I mean, you look at Richarlison and Yerry Mina. Would yeah. you rather go and like take a? Would you would you rather go and take a what a nine ten hour flight, go home and play two games in a week in front of like a hysterical sellout crowd? with that sort of South American passion where they're screaming for the team constantly. The players are adored. They're treated as like conquering heroes. Mm. Um, or would you rather like play 90 minutes a week in front of Goodison where it's just like, I mean, 
yeah, we have the discussions about the Goodison atmosphere. It comes up every year. Um, but it is, it's crap. It's dead. It's horrible. It is just, it's soulless until <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of a, it's a strange point that is very Everton. But Goodison comes alive when bad things happen. <laughs> like you get you yeah. get a bad decision like that, like the penalty against Spurs that was given then taken away. And after that, the ground was raucous. Yeah. But it takes that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just I don't know. It's just it's just for me, it's just apathy, like all yeah. across the board. Certainly my feelings towards it. Um, I just yeah, just complete and utter apathy towards Everton. But um, if we're but that's the thing is if if is the product interesting? Like, let me ask you guys: I mean, this, is the is let, take Everton out of the equation for the minute? Do you guys find the Premier League that intriguing in twenty twenty one or last no. year or the year before? Like outside, like and and if your answer is well, the top. Six, I'm interested in that. Well, then you're already kind mm-hmm. of answering the question as to why can't these players for these non-top six teams get up for this every week? Like if you're if you're not interested, th- there is a there is that symbiotic relationship between fans and players. Like I, I think they I-, I think some of them just frankly know that depending, you know, if you're at a certain clubs, it's yeah, you know, yeah, they've got like, like a sound for like there is no there's no there's no carrot there. If you know, I mean, other than don't don't say that they're perfect. I get that they're professionals. I'm just telling you if if to answer the question that we always get asked of why aren't these players up quote up for it every week? I think that believe it or not, under under Moyes at least, I think maybe there was a sense back then that there was yes, a big top four back then and yet but yet there was you were within touching distance all the time at Everton of yeah maybe fourth or getting fifth or sixth or you know I remember we were we were constantly in the Euro you know in the in the uh, Europa League and and Mm -hmm. uh, and and I'd give my left arm to be playing uh, Shakhtar Donetsk and and Oh God! What was that? That another one of those Ukrainian teams that was just out in the middle, of, medalist Kharkiv or whatever. Yeah. Like, man, uh-huh. give me the days of of of, of uh, you know Big Vic scoring late on against those. Like, I just think that there's such an indifference that is not just about Everton, and it's not just about our fan base, and it's not just our players that I think permeates through so much of this league that mm-hmm. if we look at this league every week and think the other 14 teams are pretty much fodder for the other six, well, the players are not mm-hmm. dumb. They probably figured that, that out themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. Every season, you have the six that are competing for things, and you usually have one or two other teams. Like You have one surprise team you have like last season you have a West Ham that kind of gets in the mix or you know this season like Wolves are sixth right now don't expect that to last long either you have a Sheffield United that maybe surprises you because it's their first year back in the league and that's where those players motivation comes from is that they're in the Premier League they're excited this is a new thing when when you're Everton and you've always been in the Premier League and it's all every season's kind of always the same you know like I don't know and you've changed the manager and you've changed players and you've done everything else I just 
I'm, I'm trying to identify what it is that leads to the abject football we saw on Sunday. Whereas before you would think, I would like to be in the sort of league where Everton looks at a team like City and says, oh man, the best the best team in the league is coming to our place on Sunday. Let's, man, let's, we got to go all out. We got to, you know, we may lose this, but it is going to be balls to the wall. The crowd's going to be into it. And yet that they can't get up for City. They can't get up for games that they should be able to get up for. And I don't think that's a uniquely Everton problem as much as we, the fan base, like to treat it like it's just an Everton mm. problem. I think it's a league-wide problem. It, it, it very much contributes towards how we, we feel about that, though, doesn't it, Rob? I mean, I mean, God forbid if we'd have gone out in the summer and actually plugged a couple of these holes and managed to find ourselves, I don't know, seventh in the table at the moment then all of a sudden there are achievable goals. And I know you mentioned about West Ham. There's no reason why if someone actually screwed their head on at this football club and produced a couple of good transfer windows, there's absolutely no reason why we can't be in that situation. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to talk about West Ham being on some form of unachievable pedestal that Everton can't simply touch. I know they won the World Cup single-handedly 50 years ago, but <laughs> they are they are not an, a, a totally superior football team to Everton. On a week-by-week basis, they, they may well be at the moment, and they are certainly clicking on a totally higher level than we are. But yeah. we, we, we shouldn't be talking about them or, I don't know, in recent years, or Wolves or, to, to a certain extent, even a Tottenham Hotspur. These are not stratospherically better football teams than Everton. We, we, we've simply, we've been so bad that we've driven ourselves, I think, to, to this point. And you're right, it's, it's, it's by no means a uniquely Everton state of mind. There, there will be the vast majority of the league who, for, for so many of the reasons that you've mentioned in terms of primarily finance in this league and the kind of breakaway of the top four year on year, Goals do become less and less achievable, but you know what? If, if someone actually did this properly, we we could get ourselves back to dare I say the lofty heights that we're talking about under David Boys of finishing sixth in the league, which should should mm. be absolute priority for Everton and just as you as you mentioned playing in, in European competition. But and I, I I don't I don't know if I can sit here and say that. The only reason why we play at the moment is just to try and maintain our best players. And do you know what? That that is how it feels a lot of the time. It feels like Everton are week by week asking what we can do for some of these star players, as opposed to asking what they can do for us. And it yeah, it, yeah. it just feels like we we are on this eternal wheel of trying to convince people like Richarlison to stay. So certainly, there's been points already in this season where I've thought. Well, it, our only goal at the moment is to make sure that we are able to bring people like Gray and people like Richarlison, and in particular, someone like Calvert-Lewin back next season and tell them, do you know what, lads? It's all going to be different in 2022-23. I can see it now. But th- there is a point where Richarlison will stop being as daft as he is and he'll move on because we, we are not giving him and giving other players the platform and the the presentable progress that they need to be convinced by whatever but, this thing is. True. You're absolutely right, Mark. But if we were if we were finishing, let's say we were finishing, we finished six last season, six before, and we're yeah. kind of in that eight to six range now, something like that. You know, like we were 
I I don't know. I, I it feels like, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, but the you know the reason that 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 a super league rears its head is because there has been a narrative that has become very durable that has been created for an entire generation of footballers and the fans that watch them mm. that only a certain small subset of these games matter and there are only a small subset of clubs who play in said games that therefore matter. Mm. And it feels like every season we are, to your point, Mark, constantly having this discussion of, oh, are we going to be able to keep this player? Are we going to be able to? And you're right. Like the players, the motivation for the players, even when we talk about higher, like the way we talk about transfers, uh, a lot of times devolves. And Keith, you know, you've been part of these conversations with me in group chats before, but it devolves into, well, we've got to get a player who's young and hungry. And I, I don't disagree with that. But but the the premise behind that is that, well, we're not going to motivate them with, you know, coming to a club and being paid well and all those things that are kind of the normal motivations. I mean, maybe they're motivated when they get a big raise for the first time. I mean, that's, of course, a thing. But we are literally just thinking about them in terms of we need to get players who are going to want to come to our club and, and play so well for themselves that they can get out of our club as quickly as possible. You know, like I, I, it just, it becomes this, this concept. And I understand that there have always been bigger fish out there that eat smaller fish and that that is the nature of sport. Right. But, but that, that dynamic has become so entrenched mm. that like players, you will see great players sometimes who who will want to join us, who will do anything they can to get that move, even if it means they're sitting on the bench and they're only playing in, you know, a, like the reason they would play for a Champions League side, but they're they're only playing like a handful of games every season or what have you. But, hey, they can at least say they're on this side. Um, you know, I'd like to think that you could motivate a player by saying, hey, um, you know, we're not in Europe right now, but you come to Everton. Uh, you know, like Luis Diaz, you know, if I use him as an example and this, he's not coming to us, but you know, he's the kind of player I would look at and say, look, you're going to come here and you're going to start in the premier league and the most watched league on earth every week. Um, and then, you know, whatever happens happens, but we, we just get now into like Everton discussion isn't about winning anymore. It's always about well, let's, you know, we need to solve, everyone talking about the need to solve these structural problems that we all know exist at the club that aren't really going to get solved when we as fans don't really hold any of these people accountable. Like we bitch and moan about the director of football. He is never made to face the, face the media. Um, the manager gets trots out there once a week, uh, the day before the game, lies his ass off to everybody about who's injured and who's not. And we call that transparency. The players are not made available for any, you know, they, they are they are given the most sterile, safe space, media availability sure. to a handful of people who tell the same stories and ask the same questions and have entrenched, a, entrenched the same system in place forever. And it's just, like we were talking about this on our chat before, like the product of the Premier League 
you know, like I almost don't even blame the news outlets because, you know, the, the biggest intrigue every season is the manager managerial carousel. It's, well, you know, who's going to be the new manager once they get rid of get rid of Ole at United? Well, they finally did it. So now who's that going to be? And then it's the same, you know, and it's Spurs and wherever. It's the same handful of guys that have had all the big jobs just trading off, you know, like Conte has a job at Spurs now. Eventually he'll have a job somewhere else. And the guy that left that job will eventually get the job at Spurs. And it's just, it's the same boring shit. And what's <laughs> amazing is that we literally have a league with some of the most gifted athletes on earth. They are the product. They are the story. And yet we are, we've created an environment around them and the product in general to a water it down as much as possible, B never make improvements to officiating, to make the sport more watchable, better, more consistent, et cetera. And C we hide the players media availability to the point where the only thing we ever really learn about them are what the club website will decide to tell us about in a quote unquote exclusive interview that they get, or a player deciding to just post something random on his social media, but the players have no incentive whatsoever to talk about themselves or do anything. So then they, the product is just, it's artificially depressed and, and it becomes, if the product is boring and the, and the product being the game, the players, whatever, then I just think that manufacturing motivation is difficult. I just think it's really difficult. This sport needs a rethink and or the league needs a rethink, not the sport. The league needs a rethink and the way in which players are handled, coddled, whatever you want to call it needs a rethink. But I, I think that the fact Mark that you said before we got on, we are five points out of fifth, fifth place right now. Any other league on earth, a team that is that close to a, you know, whatever you want to call like a Keith in the NFL, like a playoff spot, a, you know, a trip, whatever you're only you're like within spitting distance of the team that you want to get to. Usually that team that's only in this case, five points back is excited, is motivated, is busting their ass to get better. They're dealing with injuries, but we're going to get guys back. We're going to be, there just seems to be a malaise and a complete indifference that if you think you feel it as fans, I think the players feel it. And I think it's written all over their faces, just like you pointed out, Mark, when they came out of the tunnel after halftime. Well, How's, how's this for a, a theory on it all, right? The problem isn't the product. The product has always been this way because since 1990, how many teams have won the league? Six? Yeah, tops, yeah five or six. Right? Yeah. In 30 six, years, yeah. right? Winning the league has been a closed shop since the 1980s, right? Right. The product has always been... The same. The same teams will do well, and the other teams. Occasionally, you'll have a team that sort of runs them close for a little while, like Everton did in the like the mid noughties, mid to late noughties. Then you've got like Leicester doing it recently, West Ham doing it recently. So when it's your team's turn to do that, yes, you're a bit more involved because you think it's almost within touching distance. Oh yes, look, we can break into this group, and then your team falls away. And the same teams prosper. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've got new blood in there like City, who have just spent billions. Um, yeah. Chelsea, to what late in the early noughties, did the same, got themselves into the club. Um, and it's just like, I think what 
the difference between Everton under Moyes and the difference between Everton now is under Moyes, Everton were a team with limited resources, right? So you were you signed players. We signed players cleverly. Yeah, occasionally we did spend a little bit more money. The likes of Yakubu Fellaini came in for um, eight figures rather than like sort of loan deals and whatever. Mm. Um, these players came to Everton on not low money contracts, but never big money. Right. So they were making like a, a decent, a, a good wage for a, for a footballer, but not a huge wage. Their motivation was to play out of their skin to get that big move. They got a move to the big clubs, and that's when they got paid, right? These are professional athletes. These have a very finite amount of time in their lives to make money. So it's all about maximizing as much money out of it as you can, right? Look at the contracts Everton handing out now. Players like Alex Awobi are making 60, 70 grand a week. Where's his motivation to win games? In the past, he doesn't need to. He's well, got a five-year contract. Arsenal, especially like what he's yeah. like. Yeah, I've done this. He's got know, a five-year contract, making millions a year. He doesn't have yeah. to do well. He can sit there. He can ride that contract out. Chenk Tolson, massive money, doesn't have to do well. He can ride that contract out. Yeah. Same happened with Sandro Ramirez, Yannick Balassi, Gilfie Sigurdsson. He he, like who shall not be named, etc. Um, they have no motivation to do better or to win things because like, yeah, we say, Oh yeah. Athletes want to win all these trophies. athletes. Yeah. It, it looks great. If they can finish their career and say, Oh, I won such and such and such and such and such and such. All they really are motivated by is how much money they make. Yeah. That's not, a, that's not a criticism of them. If I was in that position, I'd be doing exactly the same. Well, it's it's I'm, money plus plus you know. Th- I mean, yes, their, there's, there's their brand and all that stuff too, Keith. Like they want to, you know, they want to play for a Champions League club, but that's I mainly mean, because sh- it's just I want to be on TV the most. I want to be like it goes back to that whole idea of when Richarlison goes goes home to Brazil, he is playing on an infinitely larger stage than anything oh, yeah. that, that Everton can provide, and and like, so you, you know, yeah, you will get players like Richarlison who will play better, like he's on a huge wage as it is, but he will want to move on to better himself. He yeah. He's like of that mentality that right. he wants to play at the highest level. Um, and I don't, and, and by the way, Keith, I want to point I, this out. I don't begrudge a player at Everton wanting to play well enough to get a move to the next level. Like that's not my problem. Not, my yeah, problem not at all either. That we get obsessed with the idea that like, you know that that we make these choices with the idea of well we just we've got to keep hold of this guy whereas yeah. maybe maybe sometimes it ought to be we ought we have to maybe know when the right time to move someone on yeah. is but we also Why? need to know not to to pay players who haven't accomplished enough money that suggests that they have yeah. uh, and and that's I mean yeah you look at look at the in order to be competitive I mean it's it just it's it's a tough thing yeah. It's another thing. It's, I don't know if it's unique to Everton or if it happens across the board. And I haven't done the necessary legwork. And I'll be honest, I'm not going to do the necessary legwork. No, yeah, dead, dead boring. But Everton are guilty of... A player has a run of, say, six months of good form or decent form. Quick, Mason give Holgate. him a new contract. Time, time. We don't want him leaving. For Michael Keane. Michael yep. Keane. 
yeah. new five-year extension out of nowhere because he had like a run of what six months of good like decent performances and and then you're stuck with them because as soon as they get this contract they're like well okay i've got it well, now that's mm-hmm. me i'm happy that's me 100 grand 100 grand a week five million pound a year we're playing some we're paying some players who aren't performing to standard and they're not gonna there's no motivation for them to pick up their standard because, like, I mean, why would they? They're going to get paid regardless. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. It's just, yeah, so for me, it's not like, it's not a recency bias that all oh, the product of the Premier League is diluted. The product's always been diluted. It's never been great. It's only great when your team goes through that period of, yeah, we're we're a contender. We look decent. Oh, this, yeah, football's great. I'm, I'm enjoying watching football. And then your team fades back into the background because football, as like all things yeah. in professional sports, yeah. are cyclical. And you go through the period of, well, yeah, it's crap now. It's, it's like, mm. well, I'm not really engaged. I'm not really interested. You go along to Goodison on a Saturday afternoon for another matinee of meh. And it's just... Oh. Matinee of meh. That's the name of the show. It's, it's just, it's, it's a constant thing. And like, probably in about five years, six years time, Everton will be like back up at that level again and they'll be doing well and everyone will be oh this is great we can really kick on now we can really do well and we won't I mean spoiler alert it's not going to happen the 80s like Everton fans have got this entitlement as like England's fourth most successful club of all time etc oh we should be up there nah we're not entitled to anything the 80s was a blip the 80s was a like the exception that disproves the rule. Otherwise, the entire history of Everton has been absolute garbage from start to finish. Fuck me. <laughs> I don't know about absolute garbage. I don't know. I mean, no, it's a good team. It is, it is despairingly more you're right. <laughs> one would want it to be, but we should definitely just sound clip that and it should just play when you go on the Blue Room website. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, the history you know, of Everton football club. Yeah, right. I think, I think you're right. Like, you're right to point out that there's always been the haves and the have-nots. I'm not disputing that notion, nor am I high enough to believe that this league will ever adopt any kind of rules that would enable a more level playing field just because there's too much greed and there's the same group of haves that control the entire league and and they're just they have no incentive to let others like when Leicester City won the title they, they, they're going to make sure that never happens again mark my words I mean that, that was like that was definitely like, never absolutely nothing happen. to do with inhalers or blood bags no it took not, not yeah, one well, little bit no <laughs> but my point is that I think I do feel like whether it's not that there are still haves and have nots. I just feel like the distance between the haves and have nots in terms of, you know, whether it's just the hoarding of players, uh, whether of quality players, or it's just the fact that the wage bills are, there's such a, you know, you know, every player, like we think about our players and how overpaid they are. And they are, I mean, a lot of them are no, no question, but these clubs are just chock full of dudes who play a handful of games every year who make that much or significantly more on wage because 
you know, United can afford to just be in deep in debt because they print enough, you know, they make enough money in other ways to just say that, mm-hmm. well, financial fair play, you know, as long as I can sell ad space uh, in, in, you know, and, and hoard uh, products, uh, then it's fair for me to, you know, to, to hoard as much talent as possible in the league and, uh, and for it to persist this way. I like, it's funny because I don't know if he's got anything. Uh, he could just be their form of da- their version of Davy Klassen. But I think about the persistent discussion of uh, uh, Van de Beek uh, yeah. from United, who inevitably will end up at Everton because all failed United uh, stars end up at Everton at some point. Uh, but I, I, I look at someone like him and I think they went out of their way and paid pretty good money to sign him um, you know, out of the Dutch league a, few, a couple years ago. They until today, I guess he's starting against uh, Villarreal in the in the in uh, Europe today. But I'm just thinking they can afford to to go hard after guys, sign them, and just stash them, and just put them on a bench, or in the case of Chelsea, just have a loan program that involves yeah. at least a hundred players. Yeah. And you and you're like, well, why aren't all these talented players? Where you know, why aren't these other clubs in the Premier League have access to this? It's just it's money and it's and there's but it's not just money. It's it's where the line between having resources and being greedy comes into play, because the hoarding of players is not just about that club's ability to stockpile talent like they're going to use it all because they won't. It's more about keeping other clubs from having access to that to those talents as well. So if you have the money, you sign as many players as you can, quality players as you can, which I mean, that's the idea, I guess. But, you know, the, the fact that that you then just export those guys all over Europe to other leagues on loan and then you call this a fair system is just it's just silly. But to that point, um, I think that the the notion of these the notion of um you know, the, the reason I, I think having the same conversation and this kind of gets back to the original point, but having the same conversation every year about Everton and the problems Everton have, um, which are valid without at least asking questions about the larger context of what the sport or in this case, the league is is suffering from in terms of what is fueling that indifference what is fueling that kind of bleh you know football i think you know like we we feel like like there is the everton fan feel like thing the feel like is that we are the worst team in the league the reality is is that right now we're in 11th it feels like we're going to get relegated this season the reality is is we're five points off of fifth the problem is, is that the reality starts to matter less and less when the feel-like part of that equation becomes so pervasive. And the players feel that um, their motivations are compromised by it. And obviously, having bad decision makers at our own club who pay money because it feels good to look like a big club as opposed to actually, you know, thinking outside the box and saying, well, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're not really there yet. So maybe we need to do this a different way. Maybe we need to, you know, to, to, to find efficiencies in places that, that, that they haven't been found before because there's a reason why 
certain players are being sold by those in your league. Like the, now that I look at Alex, Awobi, you used him as an example, you know, the second that Arsenal, a club full of as much, if not in some cases, far more dysfunction than Everton, who have been far more underwhelming than Everton in a lot of ways, given their resources for the last decade or so. The fact that they were wanting to sell him and ask you for that much money, we should have hung up the phone immediately. But we were so desperate because, if you guys remember the context of signing Alex Awobi, we, meaning the collective Everton, we felt like we had to get a guy in or else at the last second in that window or else that whole window was going to be a failure, right? And that whole feel-like factor um, for Everton instead of using logic and intelligence and some things I think has been a big contributor to the problem. But I also think, frankly, the players that are at Everton, not all of them, um, it's, it, I will point out by the way, the irony of the fact that, that our best players, the ones that do consistently give a tremendous effort for this club, um, happen to all be the ones that are injured right now. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing more laughable to me than when people talk about how, like, I get it. You want a player to be as available as possible, but sometimes just because a player is fit doesn't mean that they're actually committed. Um, Michael Keane never gets hurt anymore. Believe me, I've tried to will it into happening so mm. I didn't have to look at him play anymore. But he still plays every week, and he's awful. And yet, and and so Alex Awobi, he is he's he's available, guys. Like I I am that that part makes me crazy, but. We get some of those players back. Yes, you hope to see incremental improvement or whatever, but we're just addressing and talking around the perimeter of of these issues. I think the league is broken in a lot of ways. And so going back to market conversations we've had somewhat recently, I think if you're supporting Everton, you've got to find other reasons that satisfy you about being a supporter of Everton. The community, the family, the the going to Goodison and just – enjoying being out at the game. I don't know. I know that that sounds really defeatist and I know that that does not sound very NSNO and all that shit, but what, what alternative am I left with? Cause the players, a lot of these players don't look interested and it's part, it's a symptomatic of a league that seems to have, a, you know, some real talented clubs at the very top of it and a lot of major indifference throughout the rest of it. It's funny, for, from an in particular player point of view, I think whenever we go on to this subject of, oh shit, let's just keep everyone here, Richarlison is obviously the first one that comes up. And I think that the collective attitude we've had towards Richarlison in the last few years is that it's really going to hurt when he leaves. And I think I, I actually like Richarlison enough now to think it actually hurts to watch you stay. It, it, yes. it has, it's yes. definitely got to that point where it's just, it's it's awkward having the the caliber of players that we know deep down that we do, uh, and as you say, Rob, unfortunately, to a man, they are all just currently unavailable. Um, on that note, by the way, Mark, that's the same reason that that Keith and I's favorite player, Yeri Mina, like I love him so much because he I love him more than anything, and you guys know that. But like, I kind of want him to go too. I don't want him to continue to be no, part no. of this mess either. Like, I think that. 
like I, that's why the relegation thing I get get why I think I love the motivation of of what the incentivization that relegation creates for the bottom of the league. Mm. Man, what Everton really I wish Everton could do is just completely sell everybody bottom out mm. and rebuild again, but you can't do that without being relegated and Everton we're going to have a hard time mm. getting back to the Premier League if they get relegated and it's just mm. they just feel stuck and it sucks. <laughs> Well, Keith, talking about being stuck, we've got Brentford at the weekend and that is now obviously going to be without Damari Gray, who looks to have sustained a, a relatively lengthy time on the sidelines with what was an adductor injury or a groin injury, I think. Yeah, adductor, six weeks, I think they're saying. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I know Everton, we don't see him until the new year. Um, Richarlison obviously is, is suspended for the game coming up at the weekend. Um, and with that in mind, is Solomon Rondon coming on for Fabian Delph the worst substitution that Everton have ever made, ever? No. Go on. No. And <laughs> do you know what? It was two infinitely better players involved in said substitution. Um, but I will tell you the worst substitution Everton have ever made. Obviously. And it was um, it was David Moyes at Arsenal away, and it was the game Robin Van Persie scored that ridiculous volley. Um, and literally, like 30 seconds after he'd scored that volley to put Arsenal 1-0 up, Moyes brought on Sylvain Distan for Louis Saha oh, to try and protect a 1-0 defeat. <laughs> no one looked at a 1-0 defeat like it was going to somehow get them half a point like David Moyes did. I just genuinely, like... I watched that game on Iraq goals on a stream <laughs> in a hotel in Israel, listening to Israeli fighter jets screaming overhead on the way to like blow the shit out of the Gaza Strait. <laughs> and that might be like the crowning moment of when I decided David Moyes needed to leave Everton. That might have been when he lost me. Um, well, that. Or the sub that he made at Oldham away when he brought Shane Duffy on in the 96th minute to defend a oh, corner. Yeah. And the man that Shane Duffy was marking, Matt Smith, scored from said corner. And they, they took us to a replay. So there are two yeah. terrible, mm. terrible Everton substitutions that rank way above like bringing on shite for shite when we're getting yeah. beat anyway. Me and Matt went. Mark, what, what, what options? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. The guy you scored was it? Was that the guy you dumped Liverpool out in the in the round? It was here? yes, Matt Smith. He had a head like a Hovis loaf. <laughs> <laughs> what, okay, what is a ho- say that again? A Hovis loaf. A Hovis loaf. Hovis is a is a brand of bread, like sliced bread. Um, bread I, don't know, I don't know what you'd call it. Like what brands you've got in America? You got Wonder Bread, haven't you? There, there. Yeah, we got we've got other brands of bread. Yes, yes. Um, you- other brand other brands are available. <laughs> yes, going at my best BBC broadcaster there. Um, yeah, he, he had a, a head like a, a a loaf of sliced bread, and he just like oh. come up and netted the winner in the ninety sixth minute. That was that was very 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 moist. I think that was the coining of the term the moist sub. I was man. Yeah. God. David David This is why I could listen to Keith talk all day, Mark, because he's got nuggets like that. See. Well, uh, well now, if you ever wanted to know where the Moyes sub came from, there it is. Not not to totally take it away from Keith here, but I, I do want to leave the last point to you in terms of um going back a little bit to Damari Gray's injury. Um not necessarily him on a on a personal level, Rob, but 
You mentioned Danny Donachy earlier in the show. Um, and obviously... By the way, just a quick one on that. How good was Rob's pronunciation of Donachy? I, 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 I loved it. I was Can I not say Donachy or whatever? Donachy. I don't know. It looked da- like Daniel, I've Daniel never De- heard Daniel Donacci. It was very, That's the Brooklyn side of my of my of my upbringing coming out. Uh, it, that's where my it, in the spirit up. of me maturing, I was not going to go there, but I was going to allude to the fact that Rafael Benitez has obviously taken a very quick glance of. Everton's medical services and decided that it needs a bit of a shake-up. Um, do you know what? None of us are on the inner circle of Everton staff. We're not We're not going to be able to say that that is the absolute right or wrong answer. But, Rob, I think from a from a wider point of view, you've, you've kind of suggested in the past that Everton's long-standing problem with long-term injuries stretches way beyond the coincidence. Um, and it, it does feel as though there potentially could be, I don't know, a, a malaise in that area of the club that has potentially led to some of the, the soft tissue and the, and the persistent long-term injuries that we've seen. And it's, it's obviously been intensified of late because the quantity of injuries is there and obviously it's to our higher quality players. But... Mm. Is there anything, do you think, to suggest that there's something in this in terms of Everton contributing to their own physical downfall? Um, well, the obvious preface here is that I am not in any way uh, yeah. a yeah, medical professional, nor am I even adjacent to a medical professional in any uh, meaningful way. But I well, will say, I will say, well, I mean, other than you, Mark, I guess, Mark, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there we go. Uh, but I, I think I would say that this move seems like the move that you make when you finally internalize that whole notion of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. At a certain point, regardless of the fact, like it's not Danny Donachy. Donachy? Sure. There we go. <laughs> Okay, it's not all his fault, clearly. I'm sure he would, I'm sure he is well trained. I'm sure all of these things. But, but you know, we, we've talked about this several times. Um, this sport and this league are currently grinding these players into a fine powder with the way that they manage the schedules, the international break. There are no breaks for these guys. I mean, I think about how much, much Richarlison played, you know, uh, over the course of the last 12 months, Yerry Mina. I mean, uh, I mean, there's just, there are all of these examples out there. And um, I think that, as from an attritional perspective that yes, um, playing just nonstop football contributes to players breaking down. Having said that, there's a lot of other clubs in this league who play more games than Everton do, who also have international players who do not have mm. all the jokes about the, uh, what is it? The, uh, the inhalers, the steroids, all the other things aside. Um, they don't have quite these, the extent of these problems. And the, and, and I think that, when you think about, um, let me just put it this way. We do a disservice, I think, to these players talking about how much money they make uh, when we want to kind of beat them with that stick 
while also not having really any idea what particular medical issue they're going through, why there's been a setback, mm -hmm. you know, what the setback is attributed to, for instance. So for instance, Yerry Mina's missed what the last four matches, I think, I think they think he could have, I think, by the way, he could have played this past weekend and they just decided, I think Benitez looked at that game and said, this is a wash. He's not going to rush to Corey back. He's not going to rush Mina back, but whatever. So what do we know about their injuries? Well, we know, for instance, that Yerry Mina, quote, felt his hamstring at some point. I don't know what that actually means, what that means about the extent of the injury or what the rehab looks like, whatever. Calvert-Lewin suffered a setback, and we have received really no details. I mean, we, we received scant details on what the original injury even was. Was was kind of a leg issue, kind of also a broken toe, foot thing. I mean, we're all just sort of guessing, and then we're getting angry at guys who aren't around to play enough, and then we are wondering, well, what the hell is going on with the medical staff? I think the medical staff is one part of this problem. Mm. Um, and it's the most fixable part, if that makes sense, Mark, which is that you can't just snap a finger and replace all these players. But what you have done is you have made investments in transfer fees and contracts for these guys. And every game, like you think about that per week rate, you know, every game that a Yerry Mina or a, um, or Calvert Lewin on his new deal or Richarlison on his deal, every week they miss, that is money just being flushed down the drain. Mm. And so you can't easily change them. But what you can say is that, hey, they're injured. They continue to get injured. They continue to have setbacks while they're in the hands of these medical professionals on our staff, something isn't adding up. And you, and I get, I don't know exactly what that is, but I think that they look at the situation and think, I think someone like Benitez probably says, I want to bring my own guy in because I've had success keeping players fit with my guy. And therefore we're going to use him. Now, of course, Rafa Benitez doesn't understand that this is Everton and that the forces of darkness are far greater than, you know, simple medical proficiency that he can import into the club, but we'll see how it goes. I don't blame him for making the change because as nice a guy as Danny Donaghy apparently is and how beloved he, he ultimately was, at a certain point, the buck stops with him and stops with his staff on 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 the project processes and procedures that that go towards re rehabilitation. Things just aren't working, and the same problems are persistent. Yeah, I think obviously at times like this, you you can all you can do is simply will change to happen, uh, and whether that is through a medium of luck or actually getting a bit hands on with this thing and saying, well, do you know what, this is the the constant that I can change. This is the the opportunistic thing that I can do in terms of just making that making that shuffle up, and, and by all accounts, he's done it at previous clubs as well. But I think we all just collectively agree that we're ready to actually put our strongest eleven out now. Because I'm 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 thinking back to when even if we say Gray, Decore, Richarlison, and Calvert Lewin all play together, it's, you're probably looking at Brighton away or or somewhere around there as being. The last time that we were actually able to look at this team in the mould that it actually should be, um, yeah. Albeit we are not going to see that this weekend, lads. Um, a great chat on the back of Man City. I, I know it feels like, <clears throat> excuse me. I know it feels like that we go big picture quite a lot of the time at the moment, but that that is unfortunately where Everton pushes us in in dark moments, and we are hoping that this is going to change massively in the coming weeks, and obviously. Brentford looks like being the best chance over the next four or five games to to change the tide. So 
Thank you very much for Rob. Thanks for Keith for joining us. Um, we'll obviously have subs weekly coming up this week, um, and we'll have the preview to a trip down to Brentford. Obviously, Everton's Dave, first Premier League. Excuse me, David Downey's returning this week. By the way, to subs weekly, I believe, uh, or is it the weekly? I can't remember. So, and obviously, Dan Donacci will be uh, will be joining us at some Dan point. Donacci, Dan, Danny Donacci. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, safe travels, obviously, to all the Blues going down to to what I imagine will be will be most of their first trip down to Brentford. I think we all all collectively want to want to try and get down there and f- hopefully get our first win in that new stadium. As much as we are pinning all of our hopes on a pretty decrepit squad at the moment, is Brent is Brentford near lakes uh, of of any note, guys? <laughs> well, certainly not the lakes. No. Uh, the, that there may be a small body of water that we can um, that we can they can move away to for a, for a moody affair after the game, but unfortunately, Rob, I think we are uh, I think we are stuck with simply the ninety minutes of painful football. But that's it from us on the kick about this week. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Progressive presents. Don't do it yourself. Okay, simple enough. Just got to get in there with my screwdriver. Do you mind handing me my screwdriver? Are you trying to say screwdriver? Well, I mean, you're saying it weird, but yeah, sure. Look, maybe we should bundle our home and auto with Progressive. We could save big and pay someone to install this for us so you don't have to pretend you can. (laughs) I know my way around a screwdriver. Oh, yeah. This is going to take a Philippe's head for sure. Save when bundling home and auto with Progressive and use the money to, you know, not... Do it yourself. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.